We'll just lift a couple of verses, but keep your Bible open, for we will be referring to here and to other places, please. Luke chapter 1, and we're just going to read verses 46 and 47 for now. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. We want to read it again. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Father, thank you for the Savior. Thank you for the Lamb of God. Thank you for your only begotten and beloved Son. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your precious blood. Thank you for paying our debt in its totality to its fullness. Thank you, you've left us your spirit. So we pray now, Father, this morning, Lord, that you would bless our hearts challenge our hearts, convince or convict our hearts, but teach us thy word. And whatever way, Lord, you deem fit, would you deal with your people this morning? And if there is one here or maybe watching live or later, we pray that you would, Lord, convict them if they know not Christ as their Savior. Let them see their need, their need of him for the forgiveness of their sin. Glorify thine own precious and worthy name this morning. Be exalted in our midst. Lord, as we lift you up, draw men, all types, unto thyself. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. Last week, if you remember, we told you how this came about. We'll not go into the story again. And we, will also t- we also told you of how uh, different religions, if you want, or even denominations think, think about Mary. Briefly and quickly, because it's important for our study, our word, our message this morning. For example, Islam believe in a virgin birth, but do not believe who they say is Christ, Isa or Isa. They do not believe he died for our sin. They do not believe he's the son of God. And hence, there's no resurrection. There's no forgiveness through Christ. But yet, they do elevate him to being a prophet. But Mary, they elevate her to being a blessed woman and a virgin. When we go to Judaism, they detest Mary. They call her a harlot. They hate the Lord Jesus Christ with a passion. They call him an illegitimate child. They use a better word. And especially in the Talmud, they say he's boiling in hell in excrement. You can read it for yourself. But for Mary, they say she had an affair with a Roman mercenary soldier called Panthera. And hence, this is nothing the whole story of the birth of Christ, the conception to the birth 
And the life of Christ is nothing but from the devil himself. When you go to, even we didn't mention it last week, Mormonism, they'll tell you that they revere Jesus and they believe in Jesus, but they also say that Jesus is the brother of Satan, Lucifer. They say he is the brother of Adam and they were all in a big family together. And hence, when you do good as a Mormon, you can become a god like them. And that's heresy. They don't tell you that when they wrap your door, by the way, and you ask them questions. Well, for Mary, they don't really have too much to say. And one of the worst of all, because it is so dangerous to the people is the Roman Catholic Church. They almost deify Mary and place her in the Godhead, almost. Some are wanting to do that, by the way. They say Mary is co-redemptress with Christ. In other words, as Christ redeemed us, she is the co-redemptress with him. They say her assumption happened. In fact, yesterday I walked past Uh, a church, and it was called uh, the Assumption of uh, Our Mother. And the assumption is that she was ascended into heaven bodily like Christ was. And then she's co-mediatrix. In other words, we pray to her to get to Jesus. None of it is found in this book. Not one part of it is found in this book. I did mention how there are those, if I can call them cultural Protestants, some who belittle her, and it's really because of the, the, the exaltation of Mary by Rome. They then go the other way and they almost abase Mary, which is wrong too. Because she is our Lord's mother and he loved her. She is a blessed woman for she bore him of the Holy Spirit as a virgin girl. But she also needed a savior. The Roman Catholic Church would tell you that Mary has what's known as the Immaculate Heart of Mary. In other words, Mary was born sinless as Christ was, and her heart was made immaculate as she lived. Hence, all of this glorification of her. Nowhere in Scripture does it say so. So when Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. It's Mary said those words. So notice the mys, if you're taking notes, notice the mys of Mary. There's three mys here. My soul, my spirit, my savior. My soul, my spirit, my savior. Notice two are inward. One is from the out to come in. My soul, inward. My spirit, inward. My saviour, 
she needed him to come in. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. The word soul here, S-O-U-L, is the word suke. If you're taking it down in the English rendering or spelling, it is P-S-O-O-K-H-A-Y, suke. And this is what it means. It gives the idea of the seat of your understanding. The seat of one's feelings, of one's desires, of one's affections. The true and real seat of one's living being. Living being. And the seat of your personality. Your personality. My brothers and sisters, friends, when we think of this, what this is really saying is my soul, your soul, Mary's soul. Everything you are, everything that you, even the thinking, the feeling, the emotion of it, the real you inside, even when we hurt so much sometimes, We don't know how to express it because it cuts deep. It's within. Don't know how to talk about it. It's the soul. It's right in the very innermost being of the man and woman. The real you. The real you. The you that's living inside this body. Paul speaks of in 1 Thessalonians, I think it's chapter Five, forgive me if I've got the wrong chapter. He speaks of the spirit, soul, and body being kept blameless in Christ. This tripart being which you and I are, and the real you, the the suke, the soul of you, the person inside. It's you who are saved or lost. Saved or lost. And it's the real you, the suke, the soul, the, the very living being, the seat of your personality, everything you are within. The real person inside of you. It's that which will stand before God. And give an account as a Christian of the things done in the body. Not for salvation now. For reward. Remember we taught it for over a few weeks. But also for the unsaved, the real you will stand before God. Keep that in mind. For Mary knew this. My soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. So brothers and sisters, I told you that we used to sing a chorus, something like this, years ago. And when we sang it, I, 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 when I first heard it and I wasn't long saved, I didn't know that this was scripture. When I read it, I thought, oh look, it's in the Bible, even what we're singing, because it was a scriptural song. 
the thing about it is, is that I didn't realize the, that even the like of Mary would rejoice in this. And so could I rejoice in this song? Could I sing this song? Well, yes, I can, and so can you. If you're saved and you've been washed in the blood of Christ, if you're trusting in Jesus and his finished work at Calvary, then yes, you can. Yes, you can. My soul doth magnify the Lord. Therefore, our innermost being is what we should be doing in our everyday life, magnifying. By the way, the idea of magnifying would be like, so even the, the words here as we have them up on these screens here, they're bigger, you can see them. They're magnified from a page to being bigger. You can see them farther away. More people can read it and see it. It's magnified. And so Mary is using this magnification in her song to lift up the Lord. So from our souls, we should be magnifying him that more can read it, read what we have experienced and see what the Lord has done in our lives. My soul doth magnify the Lord. Let me just show you a couple of instances or so about this word soul. Matthew 16 and verse 26, please. We all know this verse very well, but let's just read it. Matthew 16, verse 26. Let me just get it to you. And verse 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? It's the same word. What is it that a man can give for the real personality who he is? She is a woman. What do we think or what does the man outside of Christ, the woman outside of Christ, the unsavedly saved and the ungodly, what do they think that they can offer to God? Church? Good works? What do they really think they can offer to God? Ritual? Jesus says for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, there's nothing can pay the redemptive price of a soul. Hence, God himself must come down in the person of his son, go to the cross, shed his blood, and die for us. For the real you, for the man and the woman who you really are inside the deep innermost region of your being, the person of you. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Listen to Puritan Arthur Jackson. The real value of an object is that which one who knows its worth will give for it. He who made the soul knew its worth and gave his life for it. I'm going to say it again. 
the value of an object is that which one who knows its worth will give for it. If you're selling something and you know that it's worth a lot and you really know how much it means to you, you're going to give its value for it. Hence the soul that is made by your heavenly Father, the soul that is made of God, given life. Hence that soul, the real you, the person inside, the personality who you are, the feelings, the desires, your affections, the real living being. God made him. God made her. And he knows your worth that the world can't afford it. That religion cannot buy it. That money cannot pay for it. And riches will do nothing for it. What shall you give in exchange for your soul? God knows the real value of it. Even when there are millions who don't. God knows the real value of you. Even when there are millions in our nation that don't. And he knows the real value because he's willing to pay for it. He was willing to pay for you. And the only one of worth more value that could pay for every single one of us was his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53, we see him on the cross through the spirit of prophecy. 700, maybe 750 years before it happens. In Isaiah 53 and verse 10, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Why did it please his father to bruise him? Do you ever think of that? What sort of language is this that it, it pleased his father to do this? Because his father knew the redemptive price of the soul. For he formed it, fashioned it, and made it. Please the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Isaiah 53 and verse 10. When thou shalt make his soul. Notice thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Think of this. The, although the language changes here from Greek to Hebrew. See God forms Adam in the garden. And God breathes into his nostrils and man became a living soul, an ifesh. An ifesh, I mean, it means that he became the personality. He became the, the, the one with the, the feelings, the desires, the affection, a living being before God. And he had communion with God in spirit. That was broken by his sin and his fall bringing forth death. Christ's soul, he was a real man. He was a real person. 
He was one with feelings, with a will. He was a real person who, a real personality. He had desires and every, everything that you and I have, yet he was sinless and spotless. Humanity, yet deity. Human, yet divine. And his soul, notice, when thou shalt make, the Father sent him to make his soul, this person, this one with a will, willing to do his Father's will, sent him he made a soul an offering for your sin for my sin in verse 11 of Isaiah 53 he the Lord Jesus Christ the son he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. I'm just going to pause here for a moment because he shall see the travail of his soul. Do you know what this little line tells us stuck in here? That we just seem to skip over many times. Even though he went through the whole feeling, the living being, the person, the personality that he was, even though he felt the pangs of every pain, he felt every nail, every buffet, every punch, every blow, even though he went through this, the shame and the stripped naked and put to the cross, the laughing and the scorn, and then the father's wrath, his own father's wrath, Think about this, brothers and sisters. His own father's wrath on him that you and I might be redeemed, that you and I might be saved, that you and I might be forgiven. Guilty, vile, hell-deserving sinners. And he gave him, and he went all the way that you and I might be saved. Surely you feel loved this morning. Surely you know you're loved this morning. Surely you know that your Father in heaven loves you this morning. If we can just get a glimpse, a glimpse of the cross, a glimpse of Calvary, look and live. Look and live. And here he shall see the travail of his soul shall be satisfied. Here's the little stop get for a moment. Do you see in that day when Christ returns and the dead are raised and we will be changed with them in the moment in the twinkling of an eye and we're all together with Christ? Do you realize that Christ will not be disappointed? Do you realize Christ didn't come to see maybe you will accept him or maybe you won't? Do you realize it wasn't by chance that you were saved? 
Do you realize that when Christ returns in that day and we're all gathered together unto him, do you realize that he will not, he will not be dissatisfied? That he will not be disappointed? He will be completely satisfied. And I'll tell you why. For those he came to redeem, for those he shed his blood for, them he saved. Them he saved. I'm glad I'm one of the many. Saved by grace through faith. It's them he came to save. It's them he saved. Away with this old thought, oh, well, maybe he came and some rejected. Of course, many rejected, but he didn't come for them. He came for his own. Notice what it says on in verse 11. Shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many? For he shall bear their iniquities. So, in Matthew 20 and verse 28, Matthew 20, verse 28, listen to what the Lord Jesus says. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, notice, and to give his life a ransom for many. Isaiah says, Many. Jesus says, I came for many. He didn't say every. He didn't say completely all for the many. And this is what he says here. He gave his life. The word life is the same word, tsuke, to give his soul up for the souls of men and women, the many. Mary's soul was pierced with human grief. Will you turn with, to me, with me, please, to Luke chapter 2 and verse 35. And it's a bit like a Bible study this morning, but imagine coming to a church and all you hear is candy floss and fluff, eh? Imagine coming to a church and they tell you little watery stories about how they got on last weekend and, you know, and just daft things, you know. It's the scriptures we need, brothers and sisters. It's the word of God alive in us that we need. It's the scriptures. So look, uh, chapter 2, please. And after I run down to verse 35. Listen to what Simeon said to Mary. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Notice a sword shall pass through thine own soul also. Now we have to understand here, this is something that seems different because we don't really read it about anybody else. But brothers and sisters, a sword did, as it were, not literally, but a sword did pass through this young woman's soul. Mary's soul was pierced with human grief by a divine sword. Mary's soul was pierced through 
as a mother's grief by a divine sword. Mary was blessed among women. As it says in the scriptures, Mary was honored as the mother of the King of Israel, the Lord Jesus. But here's something, a little flaw, if I can put it like that. The shoe, she had not the immaculate heart. Mary was unwilling to be the to be the despised disciple of a hated Nazarene. Mary was unwilling to be the despised disciple of the hated Nazarene. In Mark chapter 3, verses 21, we can go with 21, and we'll, just for time's sake, if you will. Mark chapter 3. And verse 21, please. Jesus has been teaching in the house and there's a big multitude around the doors and they all think that he's mad and he's, he's away in the head, as it were, and he's lost himself. It says, and when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he is beside himself. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, he hath he hath Beelzebub by the prince of devils. Casteth he out devils. My let your eye run down, please, just for time's sake. Read it when you go home to verse 31. They're all saying he's a devil. He's off the devil. The Jews are gathering around. He's healing on the left hand and on the right. And the Jewish leaders, the scribes, come and say, he's a devil. He's a devil. That's what they're calling him. In verse 31, and they're then came, there came then his brethren, notice, and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. His mother didn't want to go into the house, or maybe she couldn't get into the house. But at this point, everyone, even Mary, didn't want to go. She says, come on, you're, you're, you're going too far here, Jesus. Come on, come with me. Calling him to take him away because of the things he was teaching and what he was doing. Mary was unwilling to be the despised disciple of the hated Nazarene. Now, even though Mary knew of his miraculous virgin birth, and even though Mary was visited by the angel around what everyone terms as Christmas time, we read of the shepherds coming, and we read of the magi coming around that sort of time. And in Luke chapter 2 and verse 19 tells us of these things. And it says, and Mary pondered them in her heart. Mary pondered them in her heart. And the word for pondered here is a word, sumbalo. S-O-O-M-B-A-L-O-O. Sumbalo, if you're wanting to take notes there. And it means to throw or bring together to confer with one's own self. to throw down or bring together, gather here, gather there, all the evidence that was happening. And she kept it to herself and went over it and over it and over it and over it. I sort of understand that because that's how I get every message. I pray about it and, or something happens. So for tonight, while men slept, 
God willing, tonight we'll be able to look at that and we'll see what happened when men slept. It says, the enemy came. Plenty of men sleeping today, isn't there? Plenty of sleeping today and the enemies came. Maybe look at it tonight, God willing. So I woke up yesterday morning, couldn't get anything in my head. Lord wasn't dropping anything into my heart, but one word, awake, awake. Went to bed with awake in my mind, and I got up yesterday morning with wild men slept. I went and wrote it for tonight. But I wrote part of it, and have a wee bit of brain fog still from being unwell. It sort of comes and goes a bit, and I, I had to put the pen down, went out for a walk with Alison. But it was going over in my head. I was lifting all these bits of scripture and all these thoughts, and I was putting them in my head, even while we were out for a walk, pondering them in the heart. Mary did this with all that had happened. Look, this is a young girl. This is a young woman. This is a, a, a young virgin girl who this has all happened to. And if it were you and I, we wouldn't know where to turn and where to look. She's no worse than us. But yet she's a sinner and no better. She thought with the rest, get him out of the way. He's gone mad. And even though this all happened, she at one point thought her son mad, yet it wasn't until, notice, it wasn't until Calvary, it wasn't until the cross that the divine sword pierced through her soul. This one she gave birth to, this one she reared up, this one she knew was different and seen as life, now hanging on the cross and the divine sword pierced through her soul. Here's what I had written yesterday when I got this thought. It wasn't until Calvary or the cross that the divine sword pierced her soul Listen, that Mary was sovereignly touched in the inward parts. That Mary, the woman, was touched in the souquet, the personality of her, the desire and the will and the person of her. It wasn't until Calvary, yes, she was sovereignly and miraculously touched in her body as a virgin girl to bear, to bear the Son of God. But it wasn't until the cross, it wasn't until Calvary that the divine sword pierced her soul, pierced her very heart. Be aware. I continue reading what I had written yesterday. Be aware. Miracles are fantastic and they are wanted. But miracles do not save the soul. Many Christians are turning into miracle hunters. Many chase the gifts and not the giver. 
Miracles are fantastic and wanted, but miracles do not save the soul. It's only the soul which has been to Calvary on which the divine sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, has pierced through the heart and soul of a man and a woman, bringing revelation of our sin and of our sin bearer, that we can be saved. The sword of the Spirit at the preaching of the Word of God struck my heart and yours. And a sword went through all of our souls, the divine sword of the Word of God. I continue the last part which I've written. You can keep these things about Jesus in your mind and you can try to work them out for as long as you like. You can bring them together and ponder them all you want but thinking but thinking will damn your soul but receiving will save it. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Quickly, briefly, spirit. That was soul. Here's my soul, my spirit. And this is just quickly and briefly. My spirit is the word pneuma. Pneuma. P-N-Y-O-O-M-A-H. There's another spelling, but that's an easier one. And it simply means the wind or the breath. The wind or the breath. My man has tried to work out what's the difference between soul and spirit. Some have said the spirit is the higher, the soul is the lower. For example, some say the spirit looks upwards, the soul as you looks inwards, and of course your flesh looks downwards or outwards. Mary says, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoices. Mary is realizing here that it's the connection of our spirit, connected with our thinking of our minds. And it's a connection, if you want, of our very conscience before God, worshiping him with a conscience from the soul of who we are in him. See, when you sing about the blood, brother, sister. See, when we were singing earlier around the table. See, from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flowed mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? Was it the soul through the spirit one in unison with the Holy Ghost. That your conscience says, Lord, unworthy as I am, I'm your child, and I worship you, and I glorify you, and I magnify you, and I thank you for all you've done for me. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Calvary, Calvary has made it all happen. That there are such love and sorrow meet. Where do we ever get anything like this? But at the cross, at Golgotha's hill. Where do we find anything, anything at all, 
Like the cross work of Christ. Nowhere. You know why? Because it came down from heaven. Because he came down from heaven. Because it's otherworldly to our world. It's heavenly. In Hebrews 4 and verse 12, listen, talking about the sword of the Spirit. For the word of God is quick or living. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the marrow and is at the center of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The sword of the word of God comes this morning, speaks to, into the soul and the spirit, divides it up as it were, where man can't really understand it fully. The spirit returns to God when we die and we're told that we're with the Lord, which is far better and the body goes to the grave. We know all of those things, but what's the difference? But one is you and the other is you, a conscience of God. Notice here, the sword here, it divides. The word of God divides between the soul and the spirit. The joints and the marrow. And listen, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And the word discerner is the word kratikos. Kratikos. And this is important. It's K-R-I-T-E-E-K-O-S if you want to write it. Listen, and it comes from the word krino. And it means to divide, to separate. And then with the rest of it put together, it means to judge, to sift out, and to analyze. The word of God comes to you this morning and sifts out, analyzes your soul, analyzes your spirit, your life before him, your thoughts before him, how you've worshipped him or how you didn't. And the word of God comes and you say, see that from, see from his head, his hands, his feet, you're right. There's nowhere like Calvary. You see, the word of God is coming and it sifts it all out. What matters and what doesn't, what's true and what's false. What's heavenly and divine and what's earthly and human? Mary said, my spirit. Beautiful woman, blessed woman. My spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. So I'll close with this, the my Savior, just for time's sake. Mary realized then she needed a savior. She realized that she wasn't in perfection before God. She realized that she didn't have an immaculate heart. She realized that she was a sinner. But brothers and sisters, that's not a weakness. That's a great example for us. It's a great example. For those who think, well, I'm not bad, I don't sin. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Here's a great example that even the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, even she was a sinner and needed saved. My spirit hath rejoiced in God, 
my Savior, she says. He's my Savior. So I'll finish with this. Who is this baby man on the cross? He's a baby growing up there about be a man now he's on the cross. Isaiah 45 and 22. There's many of these. I've just picked this one for time's sake. The Lord says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Look unto me and be ye saved. How can you see the invisible God? God is invisible. How can we see him? We can see his deliverance by putting down, as it were, the walls of Jericho. We can see his faithfulness as he feeds Israel with the manna in the wilderness. And we can see his glory as he opens the Red Sea and causes the water to stand as walls on both sides till Israel pass through. We can see that is his deliverance or salvation. But he says, look unto me. How do we look in he who is invisible? Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Listen to Isaiah 49 and 26. For I, the Lord, or Yahweh, Jehovah, some might say, I, the Lord, am thy Savior. I'm thy Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Now notice here, for I, Yahweh, am thy Savior. And if you're writing, taking notes, Yahweh there is either Jehovah or the tetragrammaton of the name of God, Y-H-W-H. Thy Savior is Yasha. The Lord says, I am Yahweh. I am Yahshua. In other words, it's where we get the name Yahshua from. Do you know what he's saying? I am Yeshua. I'm Yeshua. And thy Redeemer is Goal, G-A-W-A-L, or it also is Goel, G-O-E-L, which means I am your kinsman, your Redeemer. In other words, God, Yahweh, came as Yahshua, Yeshua, our Savior, and he is our kinsman, Redeemer. He was fully human, yet fully God. He was deity, clothed in humanity. And here he's saying 700 or so years before he comes, he says, look unto me. Now on the cross, we behold him as our saviour, kinsman, redeemer. He is the mighty the mighty one of Jacob. And that word is all beer. It means, it's only used ever for mighty to be of God, this one. And I am the one who is in complete sovereign control. So God has not lost sight of you. Your father still loves you. Paid the highest price for you in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, don't worry about all that's going on here. Don't worry about what's going on in the world. Don't worry about this 
all this that's happening today, he says, I'm still in control. I'm God. I'm the mighty one of Jacob. May God bless his word to us this morning for the glory of Christ. Team, come up, please, and we'll sing and let the people get home.